Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter number 13. This Lord's Day might be just a bit different uh, for two reasons. Number one, uh, I'm still recovering from this cold and probably only have a third of my voice, and so it might be a little bit more brief tonight than normal, Uh, but secondly, because of last week's events, I felt burdened to take a break from 1 Corinthians and consider consider this passage from the Word of God that I believe will speak to the situation that we are in as a community, because the text before us presents this crowd of individuals who comes to Jesus questioning Him concerning several calamities natural disasters that occurred in Israel. And with the devastation in the communities around us, many of us are asking the same questions concerning West Tennessee and West Kentucky, the tornadoes that came through two nights ago. I believe that the answer that Jesus gives and the insight from the Word of God is just as applicable to us today as it was 2,000 years ago. So let us look tonight from this passage, Luke chapter Number 13, I'm going to read the first five verses. Luke 13, verse number 1, these are the words of God. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell, and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Tonight I'm going to preach to you concerning the purpose of God in natural disasters. The purpose of God in natural disasters. First let me give you the context of Luke chapter 13 so that you can understand what is going on. We won't be able to make any application or exhortation if we don't understand what is going on in the passage. When we come to Luke chapter number 13, we find this dialogue that is taking place between the crowd, and we don't necessarily know who is all in the crowd, probably just some run-of-the-mill Jews and run-of-the-mill Gentiles and run-of-the-mill Pharisees of that day that would have been in Israel. And they come to Jesus, they ask him these questions, and uh, they are almost phrased as gotcha questions. we, We only sense that from the response that Jesus gives. He He, as he often does, he anticipates what they are thinking. He anticipates why they might be bringing up some of these events. And so he answers them before they are even asked. So we have two scenes here. We have two events that are mentioned. Uh, The first event is in verse number one. And they, they are asking him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now you know that Pilate was a Roman ruler. He was a Roman ruler, and he was a very wicked man. 
very wicked ruler. And Pilate displayed his brutality on one occasion by murdering Jews in Galilee. And you need to, you need to understand the geography of Israel to understand these, these scenes. Galilee is in the north. <clears throat> the, the, the Galileans <clears throat> lived in the northern part of Jerusalem. And Pilate displayed his brutality by murdering the Galilean Jews while they worshipped. And you know that part of the Old Testament Jewish worship was sacrifice. And, and Pilate murdered these Jews and he mingled their blood with the sacrifices that they were offering to God. And that was not only a brutal display of his authority, but it was also a very blasphemous, insulting act. And so the crowd comes to Jesus and they say, why did this happen? Why, why did this happen? Was this God's judgment on them? Or was it because they were wicked sinners? Is that why this happened? And Jesus says, nay, but except ye repent, shall all likewise perish. And then the second scene, the second scene is something that we can really identify with, because the second scene is a true natural disaster. The pool of Siloam was in the southern part of Israel. And in the southern region, near Jerusalem, there was this tower, the Tower of Siloam, next to the Pool of Siloam. And we don't see the historical backdrop of this, but we find out from the text that apparently what happened is that one day this tower suddenly fell to the ground and killed 18 people. And no doubt many more were injured from this falling tower. It was a natural disaster. And so the crowd, again, is wondering the same thing. Why did this happen? And Jesus gives the same answer. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So that's the scene. And I, I think we can, in some ways, identify with that scene as we look at a community north of us, west of us, east of us, really all around us, communities that were destroyed. You've probably talked with people already, I know I have already, that have lost their home or that have lost loved ones to the events that took place two days ago. And it's very natural for us to wonder, why did this happen? What is the purpose behind these things? And from this text, I want us to consider two things. I want us to consider two things. I want us to look at the cause of tragedies and natural disasters. And I want us to look at the purposes of tragedies and natural disasters. Just two things. Number one, the cause of tragedies and natural disasters. When calamity strikes, when hardships come, it sends our mind and our emotions into a state of panic, shock, and grief, frustration even. Many people just 30 minutes from us are experiencing all of these things and more right now as we speak. They're sitting around wondering where they're going to spend the night because their house is destroyed. They're sitting around mourning the loss of a loved one that has been taken from them unexpectedly. They're sitting around wondering how they're going to rebuild their life. I spoke to a man, a, a father in his 50s that now owns one pair of clothes because that's all he had on before he left his house. And his mobile home was literally destroyed and his belongings thrown all over the place and he now has nothing but a vehicle 
and a dog and a wife and three kids. And when these types of events come our way, these emotional responses that we have are natural and normal. Okay, we, we should, we can and we should grieve with our neighbors who are suffering loss of life and loss of property. And when we are in this state of, of turmoil, emotional hardship and turmoil, reasoning through tragic events, forming a logical understanding of why they occurred, it helps us to heal. It helps us if we can understand why. When trying to determine why our region of the country was hit with a string of destructive and deadly tornadoes, we could come up with several answers. Of course, there's the scientific answer. Uh, Warm, humid air colliding with cold, dry air that generates high funneling winds. And the atheist says, well, that's why it happened. And uh, yeah, that is why it happened. Well, then we could, we could say, and this is a little bit better, we could say, well, um, we live in a world that is marred by the effects of sin. We live in a fallen world. And our fallen world is subject to frustration and decay. And natural disasters like tornadoes are part of this earthly existence. Just like we have thorns on a rose bush. Just like we catch a cold. Just like we, we sweat and we toil and we have pain and childbearing and all of the other effects of the fall. Natural disasters are part of the fall. And yes, that is also true, but these are secondary causes. These are secondary causes. What is the ultimate cause of natural disasters? What is the ultimate cause of the tornadoes that we experienced 48 hours ago? The ultimate cause of those things is God himself. God himself is the cause. We as Bible-believing Christians must affirm that God is entirely sovereign over all things, and that includes the weather. God is the one who sends rain upon the just and the unjust. God is the one who carves canyons and raises mountains. God is the one who controls and directs all that comes to pass upon the earth. And now I'm not going to belabor this point. I think it, this point is self-evident. If you are a Christian, you affirm this point. But I do want you to hear from the word of God what the scriptures say concerning God's sovereignty over the earth. Job 37 and verse 3. He directeth it under the whole heaven and is lightning unto the ends of the earth. Psalm 135, verses 6 and 7. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven, and in earth, and in the seas, and all deep places. He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. Psalm 147, verse 8. Who covereth the heaven with clouds? Who prepareth rain for the earth? Who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains? Isaiah 45 and verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Jeremiah 10 and verse 13, When he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. Amos 4, 7, and also I have withholden the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest and I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon 
and the peace whereupon it reigned not withered. And lastly, Psalm 115, verses 2 and 3. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? Notice, that's what the heathen say. Where are you, God? Where is God? The Christians say this, verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. So that is the cause of natural disasters. That is the cause of of the calamitous events that we have undergone. But if I stopped there, it might be a bit confusing. We might not have any kind of resolution. So I'm not going to stop there. That's the cause, but now I want you to understand the purpose. The purpose of tragedies. The purpose of natural disasters. God caused it, but why? Okay, now we're getting to the why. It is good for us to know that God is the cause of these things. We must know that. But if we do not understand the character and purpose of God, we will not be able to properly interpret such events within his eternal decree. God ordains all things, but he ordains all things in accordance with his own character. God will never will something to come to pass that is inconsistent with who he is. So may we reflect upon What a comfort it is to know that God is a good God. Not only a sovereign God, but a good God. The God who sovereignly ordains all things that comes to pass is a good God who works out all things for the good of those who love him. We will never fully be able to understand and answer the question of why God ordains things like tornadoes. Because again, his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. So if you're looking for an exhaustive, complete, wrap your mind around God answer, I will not be able to give that to you. But by trusting in the goodness of God, by resting in the character of God and the sureness of his love, we can deduce several purposes toward us. Now, we we don't always know all that God is doing, but we can deduce some things toward us, purposes toward us. For the natural disasters that just took place. So, I want to consider five good purposes of the recent natural disasters. Five good purposes. Number one, natural disasters remind us that God is sovereign. Natural disasters remind us that God is sovereign. When you are standing on your front porch and 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 mile per hour winds are blowing past you and you're watching debris blow down the road and you're watching your belongings blow around in your yard, you are profoundly reminded that there is someone much, much more mightier than you are. And we've already considered a number of scriptures to prove this point, so I'm not going to prove this point, but what I am going to do is I'm going to speak to how this point is a comfort to us. Sovereignty of God means that He's exhaustively in control of all things. And because God is sovereign, we can rest in the fact 
that though we don't understand it, though we don't know it, though we may never fully grasp it, there is an all-wise, eternal, good plan being executed even through the hardships that we face in this life. And I know that in the beginning of a calamity, in the beginning of a hardship, in the beginning of a struggle, sometimes it, it seems like that is furthest from the truth. Things are ha will happen to you, not just what we're going through right now as a community, but in your own personal life. Things have happened to you and things will happen to you. And when they happen, you will think, I do not see how anything good could come out of this. But when you think such a thought, you're walking by sight and not by faith. You're trusting in your own natural senses, what you can see, what you can handle, what you can taste, but you're not trusting in what is written. So the question is, when bad things happen to you and you don't see the silver lining, you don't see how anything good could come out of it, do you believe the Bible or not? Again, that's not just true of natural disasters. It applies to all things. The loss of a loved one, disappointments, financial turmoil, and so on. Though these seem like senseless catastrophes, we can be encouraged that they are, in fact, part of God's good plan. The Bible says that God works together all things for the good of them that love him. Now, some say that it sounds harsh... Some would accuse me of being very crass for laying the cause of these tornadoes at the foot of the sovereignty of God. They say, how harsh that is, how depressing that is. Well, really what is depressing is if these tornadoes were not part of the sovereignty of God. Imagine how hopeless it would be if they really were a mere chance or a mere accident or simply the result of hot air and cold air colliding, towns demolished, buildings destroyed, lives lost for absolutely no reason. That is a senseless tragedy. That is a senseless tragedy. There is no comfort in that. There is no hope in that. When, when bad things happen to us as Christians, if we, do not, if we do not have a sovereign God to look to and to trust in and to say, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing right now, but I trust that you're good even now. If we don't have that, we have nothing. That's hopelessness. That's hopelessness. That is true misery. To be able to say, I have no logical or no religious, no theological, no faith-based reason for this. It is pure chaos. But God is not the author of confusion, nor would he have his children live in such confusion. We as Christians may take comfort in that even though we don't know what it is, we know that God has a good purpose, that he brings about his good purpose even through difficult things. And when it comes, by the way, to the sovereignty of God, it is not a buffet in which we can go through and pick out the things we want to attribute to the sovereignty of God and leave out the things that we don't want to attribute to the sovereignty of God. You are inconsistent if you thank God for not sending a bad tornado through Paris while 
also not acknowledging that the tornado that went through Mayfield was just as much a result of the sovereignty of God. I remember, it was over a year ago when the whole corona thing first started. <clears throat> I was preaching at a church in Kentucky, coincidentally, Hopkinsville, and some of the brethren there took exception with the biblical teaching concerning the sovereignty of God, and uh, they, they were very inconsistent with their view of God's sovereignty. They particularly had a big problem with the biblical teaching that the salvation of men is one of those things that is under the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign over the salvation of his people. And they did not like that truth. They wanted to attribute the salvation of men to men. And I remember kind of chuckling uh, as I heard them speak about the corona pandemic. And they all agreed that God could put an end to it any time he saw fit. All he had to do was say it's over with and the virus would be gone. But then at the same time saying that God, the same God, was not sovereign enough to save his people whenever he wanted to save them. See, we cannot pick and choose with the sovereignty of God. If it is the goodness of God and the severity of God and the sovereignty of God that kept your house intact Thursday night or Friday night or whatever night I jumbled up. I think it was Friday night, wasn't it? It was. Well, then it was also the same sovereignty of God that sent that storm to other places. Yeah. That is the sovereignty of God. But we can rest in that because we know that that is all part of a bigger, grander, more glorious purpose. So, number one, natural disasters remind us that God is sovereign. Number two, natural disasters remind us of the uncertainty and brevity of life. Natural disasters remind us of the uncertainty and brevity of life. All of us here tonight, especially young people, think that we're going to live forever. Death seems like something that is just so far away. And we've got so much to do before that happens. And we're going to get it done. We're going to live forever. We're invincible. All of us think far too little about our own death. And I am certainly not suggesting that we should be morbid and morose and have this gloomy outlook on life and make no plans for the future. We ought to remember that the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Time is a commodity that we will never gain back. Each day you are, you are closer to meeting God than you were the day before. Our time to live is limited. Our time to serve Jesus is limited. Our time to love our family is limited. Our time to get right with God is limited. None of us know when the end may come. And nothing reminds us more clearly and more loudly than an unexpected natural disaster. Consider our text in Luke 13. Consider the Tower of Siloam. Do you think any of those 18 people woke up that morning expecting to be crushed by a stone tower? They woke up just like any other day. 
And they got ready just like any other day. And they went about their business just like any other day. Maybe some of you are more in touch with the news and and everything. But I didn't even know we were expecting such a severe storm until the night of the storm in the evening time. I had some people texting me saying, you know, we're we're supposed to get bad weather tonight. And I thought, I had no idea. I went about my day as usual. My mind was occupied with the typical thoughts that I think in a normal day. And everything was fine. And then the storm came. And but for the grace of God, I, I would have been taken away even as others because I had made no preparations. Brothers and sisters, we never know when disaster might strike upon us and our lives might be ended. We never know. May we live with thankfulness for the precious time that we do have. And when we consider the events that are taking place, when we consider as the death toll continues to rise, I believe in the state of Kentucky alone, the death toll is approaching 100 people. It's a lot more than even the 18 in Luke chapter 13. You think any of those people knew Monday morning when they woke up, their life would be taken by a tornado five days later. What is our life but a vapor that vanishes in a moment? May we be thankful for what the Lord gives us. May we use it for Him. So, Natural disasters remind us of the uncertainty and brevity of life. Thirdly, natural disasters remind us of our need for a Savior. Natural disasters remind us of our need for a Savior. When you see the devastating effects of a major tornado, you understand that there is nothing you can do to save yourself. You cannot withstand the wind and the rain that such a storm brings with it. And if you attempt to ride it out unprotected, you will surely die. No man can stand out unprotected and bear the force of a tornado coming directly at him. Your only hope, your only hope, is that you seek a place of refuge where you can be safe from this deadly storm that is looming over you. You need something to surround you, something to encase you, something to bear the force of the storm on your behalf. You must go to a storm shelter. You must seek cover where the wind and the rain and the lightning The flying debris cannot harm you. And we understand how true this is for our physical bodies. We understand how imminent the danger is from such a storm. Our our phones are going off. The sirens are ringing. People are calling late at night. How are you? Are you okay? I'm worried about your safety. I'm worried about your welfare. I'm leaving my home to seek cover. 
I'm stopping everything that I'm doing. Listen to me. I'm stopping everything that I'm doing because of this imminent danger that is coming upon me. I'm going to leave my home. I'm going to take my family. I'm going to go into this place of shelter until this storm passes by. That's the sensible thing to do. But yet, we do not approach the danger that is looming over our souls with the same intensity. There's a storm brewing in the souls of men, in the souls of fallen men and women. And just like a tornado will destroy your body, the storm brewing in your soul will destroy you. And it would be foolish of you to not heed the warnings. It would be foolish of you to not seek a savior. It would be foolish of you to not protect yourself. It would be foolish of you to just go on about your life as if this storm was not coming. You can ignore it, but that doesn't change the fact that it's coming. You can pretend you don't know about it, but that doesn't change the fact that it's coming. You can, you can try to run and hide from it, but it will find you out. There might be those that tell you that you just need to believe in yourself, that you can do it. There might be those that will tell you that if you just dig your toes into the ground, you will be left standing. Oh, but friend, that is wretched advice. That is wretched advice. This storm in your soul, this storm of, of sin and decay and depravity, it will overtake you. Do not try to withstand it on your own. Seek a Savior. Flee for refuge. Run to Christ. Run to Christ. He, he is a shelter. He is the refuge. He is the ark. You know what Noah's ark was picturing you about? Or picturing for you? It's not just meant to be a cute Sunday school story for the kids to draw little animals in a big boat. It was pointing to Jesus Christ. The storm that rained upon the earth, that flooded the earth, is a picture of, of the judgment that will come upon those who obey not the gospel. And who is our ark in times of a storm? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We must flee to Him. In God's grace, He sends catastrophic events like tornadoes to remind us of the frailty of our own souls. See, there's something worse than losing your home. There is something worse than losing your life. But nothing is worse than losing your own soul. So with the same intensity that you seek to protect your property, with the same intensity that you seek to protect your own life, do not be a fool and not apply that intensity to your own soul. Dabbling with, dabbling with the world and dabbling with carnality and forsaking a sincere Christianity you are just as foolish as a man who would want to frolic in the yard with a tornado heading his way. 
flee to a Savior. Natural disasters remind us of our need for a Savior. Fourthly, natural disasters remind us of God's mercy and grace when we are spared. Where is the grace in a tornado? Where is the grace in a natural disaster? The grace in a natural disaster is that though it destroyed one town, though it destroyed five towns, though it destroyed ten towns, it did not destroy a hundred. Though it claimed a hundred lives, though it claimed two hundred lives, it did not claim a thousand. See, when natural disasters occur, some will ask the inevitable question, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm sure that you have heard that question. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? When tragedy strikes, we want to ask God, why? Why, God, would you let this happen? But why is it when good things happen to us, do we never ask God the same question? Think about the last thing that occurred in your life. It was really profitable for you. It's really beneficial for you. When you got that job that you applied for, did you stop and say, God, why did you let this happen to me? Don't you know that I don't deserve this? When, when God provided you with a week's worth of groceries and you had a hot meal every morning and every evening, did you at the end of the week stop and say, God, why did this happen to me? I don't deserve this. Or did you just take it for granted as if you did deserve it? As if God owed you those good things? Does this not demonstrate our unthankfulness? Does this not demonstrate the wrong views that we have of who we are as sinners? See, the hard truth is this. There is no bad thing that could happen to us or to our nation that we don't deserve. That includes tornadoes. And there is no good thing that could happen to us that we do deserve. Say, you sound really harsh. You sound really incompassionate. No, I just understand something from the scriptures of who God is and who we are. And I'm not saying that we should not grieve with the loss of life. I'm not saying that we should not be understanding of those who are suffering. We should. But we should do that in the context of what God says about us and what God says about himself. It's what Job did. When Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He did not say that because he hated his children. He did not say that because he didn't care about his homestead. He said that because he knew God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When we realize who God is and what he owes us, which is absolutely nothing, it causes us to shift our questioning in the face of tragedy from God, why me? to God, why not me? Can you tell me why you didn't deserve to be wiped off the face of God's earth Friday night by a tornado? Can you tell me what you have that you inherently possess that makes you above death? But for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. Again, consider our text. The crowd asks Jesus, 
why did these things happen to these people? Is it because they were greater sinners? Is it because they were really wicked? Oh, I know why God sent a tornado to Mayfield, because Mayfield is so much more wicked than Paris. Is that why? Well, Jesus says no. It's not because they're, well, yeah, they're sinners, but they're not any more sinful than you are. And except ye repent, you're going to die just like they did. You're going to perish just like they did. The reason why I spared you was not so you could think that they were worse sinners and you were better than them. I spared you so that you could see what I did to them and so you could understand that you deserved everything that they got in more and by grace you might repent and avoid that coming wrath. And of course God is speaking. He's using a natural event to portray a spiritual truth. I'm not saying that Christians who repent and believe in Jesus are above calamity and above natural disasters. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that these natural disasters, see really, natural disasters are unnatural. God is using them to teach us spiritual truths. They remind us of God's mercy and grace when we are spared. But we all be thankful that God spared us. That, and I, I don't think any of us fully understand this. Tanner Dykin, that is very faithful to attend our evangelistic services and really anything he can that Christ Fellowship does, he's here if it's not on the Lord's Day. He's a very dear brother. I'm very thankful to call him my friend. His church is less than 45 minutes from here. And thankfully God spared their building and their congregation Mayfield, Kentucky is 45 minutes from here. Do you realize that there are churches that met last Sunday, just a regular Lord's Day, in a nice building that are now wiped off the map? Those buildings do not exist anymore. Do we not have something to thank God for? Could have just as easily have been that we would have woken up Saturday morning and the building where Christ Fellowship meets would have been reduced to some shards of broken glass and some two by fours and some cement blocks laying on the side of North Poplar Street. Natural disasters remind us of God's mercy and grace when we are spared. And lastly, And finally, natural disasters remind us of the coming final judgment. Now these tornadoes were no more the judgment of God than any other aspect of our fallen world, okay? I I I do believe that God exercises divine judgment even in this age. I believe that. But I don't believe every time a calamity happens or a death occurs that it must be the the judgment of God. That was how the Pharisees thought. Remember the 
man that Jesus healed, and they were asking him, why is he so maligned? Is it because he sinned or because his parents sinned? And she said, no, 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 you don't understand the way things work. So I'm not saying that these tornadoes are the judgment of God, but they are an object lesson that points to and reminds us of and alarms us of the coming cataclysmic eschatological judgment of God. What these tornadoes do, perhaps in a louder and more profound way, is point our minds to that coming judgment which shall fall upon this world. See, there are those who were able to survive the tornadoes. But when the hand of God and his wrath finally lays upon the earth, none shall escape it. His judgment will be worse than any calamity that has ever come upon this world before. His judgment shall make those tornadoes seem like a light breeze. No sinner will be able to stand on that day. Again, this is not a thought that we like to dwell upon. And God knows we don't like to dwell upon it, and so he sends tornadoes and forces us to dwell upon it. We don't want to think of judgment and hell and retribution. And truth be told, preachers don't like to preach on judgment and hell and retribution. Therefore, it is the goodness of God that sends natural disasters and forces us to think about things that are so unpleasant. And so as we consider natural disasters, as we consider the tornadoes of last week, we need to think about the day in which God will return personally Christ will come again. The Bible defines this coming as the great and terrible day of the Lord. And when Jesus Christ returns, no sinner shall be able to stand. All wrongs shall be righted. And the remaining wrath of God shall be poured out upon all sin and those who obeyed not the gospel. Unbelievers will have no more an opportunity to repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The unfaithful will have no opportunity to finally become faithful. The disobedient will have no more an opportunity to finally become obedient. God's wrath upon the world being poured out will mark the end of his grace upon this world. And so I ask you, Have you made preparations to escape this final judgment? What are you going to do on that last day? There's only one place of refuge and shelter. And that is found exclusively in the cross of Jesus Christ. The natural disaster should make you think of the coming judgment. The coming judgment should make you think of your need for a Savior, and your need for a Savior should cause your heart to turn and look upon Jesus Christ. You see, on Calvary's cross, God the Father punished His own Son for the sins 
of those who would repent and believe upon him. And if you trust in Christ, the Bible says that you are in Christ. That means that you were positionally united to him as he shed his blood for you on the cross. That means that you were united to him when he was buried in the tomb. That means that you were united to him when he rose from the grave. See, everyone, everyone without exception will be punished for their sins. Everyone will be punished for their sins in one of two ways. You will either be punished for your sins in Jesus Christ, just as everyone. Do you realize that when the flood came, everyone, including Noah and his family, endured the flood? But Noah and his family endured the flood from within the safety of the ark. So the wrath of God will be poured out upon you either in the safety of Jesus Christ or you will have to endure the unbridled, fierce wrath of God on your own. If God's wrath was poured out upon you in Christ, you are safe from eternal condemnation and your sins have been dealt with. And that means, dear Christian, that you have nothing to fear when we think of the coming final judgment. For you, the coming final judgment is a wonderful, glorious event because it will mean the, the final destruction of all sin. It will mean the final enemy being put under his feet. Oh, but for the unbelieving one, if you are here tonight without Christ, your sins are yet unpaid for. And there is still wrath reserved for your soul. How will justice be meted out upon you? You flee to Christ and have your sins paid for by his blood? If so, you better run to him now. Because as the natural disasters prove, putting it off is no guarantee. Or will you make the wretched choice of continuing in your rebellion towards God until this final judgment overtakes you? But these tragic events of last week serve as your warning. Dear brother, dear sister, you have survived the tornadoes, but the words of Christ remain true. Luke chapter number 13, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. May you flee to Christ, be saved today. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your goodness to us, allowing us to meet together tonight. Lord, would you help us not to be morbid or morose, Lord. Help me to not come across as crass or insensitive. I deeply burdened for all of the lives affected by these tornadoes. Oh God, but I am so much more burdened for the state of our souls, those in this room tonight especially, but our nation. Oh God, would you grant us true repentance? And would you use what you are doing in the natural world around us to remind us of the great need that is upon our souls. For that one that is an unbeliever here this evening, would you cause their heart to turn and flee and run to Christ? Oh, I know he will receive them. He said in his word that all those who come to him, he will in no wise cast any of them out. God, regenerate tonight, save tonight. Glorify yourself in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.